Welcome to Conversation Mill. My name is Rebecca Dale and I am the host of the show. I have a passion for sharing how the creation of thriving local economies benefits us all. I'm fascinated by how we come together to form our communities on a macro and micro scale and how our histories and stories when shared can not only motivate and inspire, but can facilitate understanding. As our communities, large and small, bring back a more progressive Main Street, individuals are stepping out to pursue their passions and local leaders are pushing back against corporate greed. It's time to engage these community leaders and small business owners in conversation. What are the driving forces behind their courage and success and how can we continue to build communities that embrace diversity, support the local economy, and create a healthy ecosystem for the culture at large? Join us now in conversation. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is the son of former U.S. Attorney General Robert F. Kennedy and the nephew of President John F. Kennedy. His father was U.S. Attorney General under JFK and was assassinated while running for president in 1968. Robert Kennedy Jr. was raised steeped in the history of America, which I can only imagine provides a unique perspective on the sacrifice and reward of public service. Mr. Kennedy has a doctorate in law from the University of Virginia and a master's degree in environmental law from Pace University, He served as the Assistant District Attorney of New York in 1983, and after completing community service for River Keepers, an organization preserving and cleaning up the Hudson River, he came on board as their chief attorney. He helped found Waterkeeper Alliance, a global group that supports local environmental groups to protect their waters. In 2010, he was named Hero of the Planet by Time Magazine for his work with river keepers in the Hudson River. He has fought against polluting giants like the likes of Monsanto, helping to win a $289 million judgment against them. He joined protesters and the Sioux Nation at Standing Rock to protest the Dakota Access Pipeline and continues to be an advocate for clean water and protecting communal lands. His probably most controversial notoriety has come from his vaccine research and founding of the Children's Health Defense. Meta has banned the accounts of this organization, and even Robert's personal Instagram was banned. He has written 17 books. A few titles include The Real Anthony Fauci, Bill Gates, Big Pharma, and The Global War on Democracy and Public Health, American Values, Lessons I Learned from My Family, A Letter to Liberals, Crimes Against Nature, How George W. Bush and His Corporate Pals Are Plundering the Country and Hijacking Our Democracy, St. Francis of Assisi, A Life of Joy, that's a children's book, along with another children's book, Robert Small's The Boat Thief. Recently, on The Lex Friedman Show, Mr. Kennedy spoke candidly about his drug addiction and how utilizing the idea of God watching him led him back to a life of faith and lifted the burden of addiction. Please visit conversationmill.com.
www.substack.com for links to the recent appearances Mr. Kennedy has made on podcasts, including the one just mentioned. But how did I get the chance to steal a few minutes with Mr. Kennedy? It started innocently when I saw a Facebook event for a Robert F. Kennedy Jr. town hall in Greenville, South Carolina. It intrigued me for the following reasons. First, the venue that it was being hosted in was relatively small for the size of the crowd I thought Mr. Kennedy could pull. Second, only 35 people had marked going. Of course, I didn't know how long the event had been up, but it seemed low to me. And lastly, having heard Robert Kennedy Jr. on several podcasts in the last few months, I was curious to hear what the themes would be at the town hall event. I'm also a history buff and thought this might be the only chance I ever get to see a Kennedy speak. The venue that he was holding the town hall in is only about five minutes from our home, and my partner Allison and I rushed after our workdays ended to get over there and secure a decent seat. Though we had officially RSVP'd per the instructions on the town hall invite, we wanted to make sure we weren't in the back row. When we arrived at the venue, we were shocked to see a line that stretched down almost three blocks, and we looked at each other questioningly if even that many people could fit in this small venue. We joined the line of smiling, sweaty Greenvillians, and almost immediately started up a conversation with the gentleman who joined the line behind us. He was retired from the finance industry. He had been in the service and worked in government. He had styled white hair and dressed like we were, business casual, with a tan suit jacket and sunglasses. He was equally as surprised by how long the line was. His overall sentiment about Mr. Kennedy's candidacy was, I don't think Mr. Kennedy has a chance because the party will fight against him, but I want to hear him speak after following him for years and would vote for him. He also agreed with me that if we ever wanted to make a dent in this two-party system's power, we as Americans had to at least show up with crowds to these outsider party candidates or third-party options so those in power in the Republican and Democrat parties knew that most Americans were getting really burnt out on partisan politics. I surveyed the line and those joining it as it started to wrap around the block. We ended up being in this line almost an hour. I noticed several things. A wide range of demographics. Men, women, single people, families, gay, straight, varied ethnicities, new voters, seniors, quite a few 30 to 40-year-olds, businessmen and women, blue-collar workers, some still in their work shirts. The other thing I noticed was even those who held a book of RFK Jr.'s to hopefully have him sign did not have Kennedy campaign swag on. This could be because there's not as much RFK merch as, let's say, Make America Great Again merch. But even those who wore Kennedy 2024 t-shirts or a hat wore it in such a way that you had to look twice. Not that they were hiding it, but that it was understated. The last observation I made was either that because of this lack of obvious pro-Kennedy merch or signs, or because those driving by were not aware of events happening in town, there were maybe only one or two vehicles that drove by that gave a honk. 
I mentioned this as a note because recently we were walking downtown Greenville and a young man was standing on a street corner with a sign that said F Biden, except the entire word, resulting in near physical fights with passerbys and honks and yells from cars, some in favor, some in protest of his sign. While we might be in the South and there is a lot of, well, bless your hearts, there are still a lot of, let's let them know what we think about that too. While in line, occasionally a campaign volunteer came walking by taking footage of the long line. They seemed overjoyed which sparked more conversation between Allison and I and what the campaign had expected tonight and probably why this line was barely moving to get in. Another reason I assumed this line was barely moving is that security must be tight, even tighter than, shall we say, a normal presidential campaign because of the high profile of a Kennedy, but also because, and there were some whispers in line and in the venue about this, that Mr. Kennedy is calling out some of the most powerful corporations in the world for a myriad of things that are harming the American people. And as a side note here, I am not saying that these things are true or untrue. I would encourage you to listen to Mr. Kennedy's long-form interviews and determine for yourself. He has also not been shy to state, implying it on the Joe Rogan show, that the CIA could be coming for him next like they did for his uncle and his father. Regardless of what we personally believe, we are always tracking where the exits are at events like this anyways, and had already discussed the layout of the venue because we'd been there before. But whatever the holdup was on the line, it was clear this many people was not initially expected. As we finally got to the door and were let into the glorious AC, (laughs) we immediately saw what the holdup was. Many of these people had not RSVP'd like the good little guests we were. Allison took the lead and maneuvered to the sign-in table, and with the flash of our RSVP confirmation email, we were given name tags and corralled into the security line, where I promptly apologized to Allison for asking her to go to this with me, swearing I had no idea everyone would be so sweaty by the time we got started. As we do... Allison and I started to discuss how the operations of tonight could have been streamlined and done more efficiently. I whispered in her ear, don't talk so loud. I'm afraid before we know it, we'll be pulled into service and heading up the ground campaign for Kennedy in South Carolina. Security wanted us from front to back, thoroughly dug through our fanny packs, if that's what they're still called, even when you wear them across your back. Finally, we were out of the crunch of the crowd. We found three seats, thinking of our friend from the line that we had lost in the push forward to get through security. I found him, and we settled in. If you are not aware, Mr. Dennis Kucinich is Kennedy's campaign manager, and at one point he had come out to the security line promising to get us all into the venue. Now he was taking the stage to hype the crowd. But first, he shared with us that this was their largest crowd yet, and there were more people trying to get in. Mr. Kucinich made a few brief remarks and then introduced Mr. Kennedy and his wife, actress Cheryl Hines. They made their way to the stage to much applause, and Cheryl took the stage first to share a few unscripted words 
about growing up in Florida in a working-class family and living paycheck to paycheck. She also shared a story about a man Mr. Kennedy, or Bobby as she likes to call him, fought for when after years of carrying around Roundup on his back as part of his job caused cancerous lesions. Mr. Kennedy then took the stage and spoke for just under an hour, taking four to five questions from the audience. One question he took from a young man who seemed just about voting age, and he took another question from a young girl that must have been below voting age. Here, I want to make a personal aside. I do not believe that kids should be used as political pawns in any way. For me, this includes asking adult questions, and this question happened to be on the topic of abortion, at political rallies. It does not matter what side of the aisle you're on, when I see kids decked out in any candidate's gear carrying signs, it makes me feel uncomfortable. Maybe because my grandmother, my Omi, was a youth in Hitler's Germany and shared a story of having to march when she didn't want to. And to be clear, I also cringe when I see people decking out their kids in rainbow flags and carrying signs. Can we let kids be kids, use their imaginations, explore and play instead of asking them to join into our adult issues? They will, unfortunately, have plenty of time for that. Okay, thank you for letting me take that little aside. I'm not going to detail out here what Mr. Kennedy spoke about. You can visit conversationmill.substack.com. I will link to several podcasts and shows that he has done where he explains his stance on issues in depth. After he finished speaking, Mr. Kennedy invited anyone who wanted to to form a line and get a selfie with him. Allison turned to me and asked if I wanted to do that. I said, well, I think this is the only Kennedy I'll ever meet, so yeah, I'd like to shake his hand. We squeezed against the wall in what seemed like the line, and she turned to me again and said, do you have any conversation mill stuff on you, sticker or anything? I did. And she said, give it to him. Or ask Dennis if you can have a few minutes with Mr. Kennedy. He's going to Spartanburg tomorrow. It's not that far. At first, I balked at her suggestion. What a long shot. But I figured, what's the worst they can say, no? So after a quick selfie and a handshake with Mr. Kennedy, I turned and almost ran into Mr. Kucinich, asking him if I could steal even just five minutes to ask Mr. Kennedy a few questions for my podcast. And he said, yes, stay here. I'll get you with my communications director. And before I knew it, (laughs) Allison and I were driving to Spartanburg, South Carolina the following day, to Mr. Kennedy's next campaign stop, which was being hosted in a supporter's home, a modest home at that, in a residential neighborhood. Again, please visit conversationmill.substack.com to see video from the event. While waiting for Mr. Kennedy and his team to arrive, we talked with the homeowner and her friends that filed in and out of the house. Kate was unassuming and not one for the limelight. In fact, she hesitantly gave me this soundbite. I'm here with the homeowner where the event for Kennedy's campaign is happening tonight. Kate, what inspired you to open up your home to the Kennedy campaign? I've been following Bobby Kennedy now for about 30 years, 
and I've read all of his books, and he's an inspiration to me. And so I had an opportunity at an event. I met Mr. Kucinich, who's his campaign manager, and talked with Mr. Kennedy and uh, asked them if they would come here, and they agreed. So here we are. Is it overwhelming, or is it what you expect? (laughs) Very overwhelming. Totally took me by surprise. Well, thank you so much for opening up your home for this, but also for uh, taking a minute for us. Sure, you're welcome. Thanks so much. Dennis Kucinich is Mr. Kennedy's campaign manager, and he is not new to presidential campaigns. He ran himself in 2004 and 2008. Prior to that, he may most famously be known as the mayor of Cleveland, elected as the youngest mayor of a major city, taking office at just 31 years old. Mr. Kucinich went on to be elected to the House of U.S. Representatives in 1996 and served eight terms. Mr. Kucinich is leading this campaign at every turn and is not only managing behind the scenes, but out front talking to press and security, volunteers and voters. He seems to be a little bit everywhere at once, but I was able to get him to slow down long enough to talk to me about the state of the campaign. Do you mind sharing with us how the momentum in South Carolina is for the campaign? The crowds keep getting bigger at every stop, and that's really great. I mean, that's a sign that the enthusiasm level is rising, that people are interested in the campaign. We have more volunteers coming on board, the fundraising going very well. So every uh, every index that you would look at for a campaign that's moving towards uh, prominence and victory it's here right now for us in South Carolina. What's the biggest challenge moving forward for the campaign? Well, you, you know, we have to be candid about this. The Democratic National Committee has done everything it can to try to thwart Mr. Kennedy's candidacy. I mean, just think of how much better the American people would be served if instead of doing that, they tried to build up President Biden, for example, tried to talk about whatever he's done for the country. But instead, they have been very active in undercutting Mr. Kennedy, which shows that the DNC really doesn't stand for much. They're just about holding power. They don't care about the American people. And so we work around that. <laughs> After South Carolina, where are you guys headed next? Uh, the campaign is moving to uh, Virginia and then Tennessee. And I'm taking, I've been on the road for about six weeks, so I'm going to go back to Cleveland for a couple of days. <laughs> Take a rest. That's yeah, absolutely. Let me tell you, this is an 18, a minimum of 18 hours a day. So I'll, I'll be uh, taking a break for a few days and then I'll be joining, rejoining the campaign in, in New York. So we're um, just going over at uh, South Carolina, uh, Virginia, Tennessee. New York, and then we start all over again with New Hampshire. and So it's great. Great. Thank you so much for taking a couple minutes to talk oh, to us. Absolutely. But I'll tell you, yesterday in Greenville was incredible. The The response that we had, the turnout was electric. The re- audience was so enthusiastic. Afterwards, I stuck around to talk to people. I, see, I think South Carolina has been ignored. Well, they rolled up big numbers for Mr. Biden before. Uh, and they were there for for Mr. Biden, but you know, been several years, and 
South Carolina has been there for the president, but has the president been there for South Carolina and the mm-hmm. people of South Carolina? And that's something a lot of people are asking. And so we're going to be here making our pitch and uh, focusing on the economic issues, which, as you saw yesterday, people really care about that. They're, they're worried about whether they're going to be able to make it one day to the next. And the country's priorities are are not what the American people need. And that's why Mr. Kennedy's out here and getting great response. Thank you so much. I'm glad to do it. Thanks. As the time for the start of the event grew closer, I waited for the AP reporter out of Columbia, South Carolina, to wrap up her allotted time with Mr. Kennedy. The communications director for Mr. Kennedy had said we might get enough time for two to three questions. I had already crafted two questions that fit the mission and the vision of this podcast around community and how participating in local government and local economies will raise us all up versus relying on the federal government or focusing nationally for solutions to problems in our own backyards. As we waited, we watched at least three busloads of voters empty out and go through security and down into Kate's backyard. Mr. Kennedy was drawing growing interest in the upstate. We even saw a few faces from the day before in Greenville. The communications director finally came out and grabbed us, instructing, you have two questions. She led us to the makeshift green room in Kate's home, where Cheryl Hines greeted us, and shortly Mr. Kennedy joined us, entering from a conjoining room. He shook both our hands and settled into the seat adjacent to me, and we jumped right into the questions, with the sound of the crowd getting hyped outside by Mr. Kucinich. As president, how will you encourage the American people towards participation in local government and supporting small communities and small business? Well, you know, my whole career has been about building communities. I'm on the board of, for 40 years, sat on the board of the, of the biggest community development, the first community development corporation in America, which was um, in Bedford-Stuyvesant Restoration. But also, um, my environmental work is all about, you know, recognizing, protecting the commons, which is the shared resource of our society, the air, the water, the wildlife, the fisheries, the public lands, those assets that cannot be reduced to private property ownership, but by their nature are the assets of the whole community. And, uh, you know, I worked from the beginning of my career for the commercial fishery, um, for uh, these communities up in the Upper Hudson uh, River, up in the uh, Upper Hudson Estuary, that were utterly dependent on uh, on the quality of the water, the, uh, the wholesome uh, nature of the fish, and um, you know they were, and they connected us to our uh, to our history, to our culture. They enriched the palate of the Hudson Valley, and uh, and you know were uh, one of the keystones of that community. Uh, I believe in community. I believe in the connectiveness. I see what's happening in our country today, where um, that there's been a deterioration of that sense of any kind of connection. There's only 42% of kids say today that they're proud of the United States of America. We're seeing this rise in you know, addiction and um, mental illness and and um, and alcoholism and 
depression and all of that is connected to this uh, this increase in the in uh, dispossession and alienation and the only remedy ultimately for that is community a community is the only source of dignity and you know in the post industrial age and we have to we're, you know all of these forces are atomizing community and fragmenting us and driving us apart the social media the you know these powerful government agencies and and government itself which is farther away and larger and more foreboding than ever and it's all designed to drive us apart you know a lot of the covid narrative that you know we have to put masks on ourselves and lock ourselves in at home we're about you know shattering the the connection between us and my administration is going to be about fortifying that connection and reestablishing connection between Americans again. Speaking of community, um, the Maui community has been ripped apart by these tragic wildfires that swept through Lahaina and Kula, the upcountry of Maui. As president, how would you work with these disasters areas? But even more so, how would you work with the local community and the indigenous or native people of these areas to build back better the way they want to build back versus land grabs? I mean, that's a good question for me because uh, 20% of my um, of my legal work over my career has been with indigenous communities. Um, I represented the Cree Indians in northern Quebec in killing this giant project called Great Whale. And I you know, worked negotiating treaties for five tribes on Vancouver Island. And I've worked with indigenous people all over the United States and Latin America um, and understand that top-down solutions that are dictated by international agencies and by foreign governments are a colonial model uh, that does not respect uh, uh, local sovereignty, local knowledge, local wisdom, and that, you know, we have a lot more to, uh, to learn from them than they do from us, as it turns out. And, you know, in, in my my broad experience in that area. So, you know, that's something that, you know, I think that um, international agencies like the WHO, which we fund, um, have become instruments for corporate control of, uh, you know, and, 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 and uh, corporate profit outcomes that ignore a lot of the dignity that comes from, or all of the dignity and all of the wisdom and all of the knowledge that, um, that comes from those local communities and that we need to flip that around and do something different. We need to start learning from them and finding solutions that are dictated from below rather than above. Thank you so much. Thank you for your time today. After we wrapped with those two questions, the communications director asked us to stay in touch. And I'm hopeful that if Mr. Kennedy makes another sweep through the upstate, we will be able to steal a little more time with him. Here at Conversation Mill, we are focused on local communities across the U.S. With presidential candidate Robert F. Kennedy Jr. and his campaign team valuing the impact of a locally focused podcast with listeners of a wide demographic, but generally working class, small business owner, or entrepreneur background, I hope that other candidates traveling through South Carolina 
will be as willing to make time to tell us why they are not just rich men north of Richmond or how they will support our local communities rather than continuing the divide at a national level that continues to grow between us. Thank you for listening in to this special episode. Please help grow this podcast so we can continue to get guests like Mr. Kennedy by liking, following, and subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts, but also becoming a paid subscriber at conversationmill.substack.com for only $5 a month or $55 a year will get you every Monday dropped into your inbox extra content from our episodes, additional articles, essays, and more. Thank you for being a listener of Conversation Mill. The podcast is growing, but we need your continued support in the form of comments, likes, and subscriptions. If you've enjoyed even one episode, please take two minutes to comment under the episode or the podcast itself, or rate the podcast. Hitting the subscribe button wherever you listen to the podcast helps tremendously. Every like and subscribe helps me support local businesses and local nonprofits by giving them a platform to tell their stories. Together, we can foster the understanding, diversity, and economies that make our individual communities flourish while creating our own community here at Conversation Mill. Also, you can join us at conversationmill.substack.com where you can become a member and receive weekly member-only content, including member-only episodes. I look forward to sharing a new conversation with you next week. And as always, thank you for your support.